Hello, and welcome to A History of Alexander the Great. Episode 12. Mission Complete. When Alexander advanced beyond Susa, he found the province of Persis difficult to penetrate. Not only was the country mountainous, but it was defended by the bravest of the Persians, since Darius had taken refuge there. In spite of these obstacles, Alexander found a guide who showed him the way by making a short diversion. So starts chapter 37 of Plutarch's Biography of Alexander. What Plutarch is telling us, very briefly, is a triumph almost as great as that of Gaugamela. When Alexander reached Persia through the Zagros Mountains in the midwinter of 331, 330 BC. So, let's get right into it, shall we? Alexander left Susa, heading for Persia, and quite quickly he entered the territory of the Euxians. Those on the plain surrendered, but the Persians had never subjugated the hill tribes. Whenever the Persian monarch and his army wished to pass through the land of these tribes, the Persians paid the Uxians so they could march through the hills. The hill tribes had stayed independent from Persia for 200 years, and so now there was another army marching through their land. They expected the same treatment. They sent messengers to Alexander, asking for tribute, and Alexander told them to meet him at the mountain pass, where he would give them what they asked for. So, Alexander decided to approach the pass. But, on rough ground, in the night, with a force of about 8,000. Within a day, he reached the villages, and plundered them before marching on the pass, where the Uxians were planning on meeting him, with the strongest force they could muster. But, Alexander made it there first, and so began to attack from the high ground. The natives were completely taken by surprise, and did probably the most logical course of action. They fled to the hills. Unfortunately for the natives, Alexander was usually several steps ahead, and had already sent Craterus to the high ground, which the tribesmen were fleeing to. I would imagine the tribesmen to be once again surprised to see Macedonians, but most would not be surprised for long. Craterus made short work of them. And so Alexander met with the Uxians for terms. The Uxians begging Alexander for their land. Eventually, Darius's mother was able to persuade Alexander to allow them to keep it. The tribute was decided to be 100 horses a year, 500 mules, and 30,000 sheep. This was the cost of opposing the lord of all Asia. Alexander now decided to divide his army. Alexander wanted to reach Persepolis as soon as possible, and so sent Parmenio and the baggage train on the long route along the coast, while he made straight for Persepolis through the Zagros Mountains. The march cannot have been pleasant, marching through a mountain range nearly January, but it was going quite successfully. Alexander eventually reached the Persian Gates, which, after the episode on the Battle of Isis, you should know means a pass into Persia. As he marched through the gates, 
he found a wall blocking the pass. This wasn't part of the plan. I'm sure the Macedonians quite quickly noticed the hills either side of the pass were full of Persians. This wasn't a part of the plan either. The Persians then began attacking the Macedonians with missile weapons. Needless to say, the plan had to be abandoned. Alexander ordered the retreat. He had been outwitted. He cannot have been happy. So, what on earth was going on? When Darius retreated to Ecbatana to gather a new force, he had not left Persia defenceless. He placed Ariobazanes in the Zagros Mountains to thwart Alexander's attempts to invade Persia, and hopefully delay him enough for Darius to gather another army. So, on that cold January day, when Alexander wasn't expecting resistance and hadn't sent out scouts, he was met by Ariobazanes and 40,000 of his closest friends. Well, at least according to Arian. Some scholars doubt this. For one, Curtius and Diodorus both offer other figures of around 25,000, while the Encyclopaedia Iranica, an encyclopaedia which covers everything to do with Iran and was created by the Columbia University, an Ivy League university in New York, guesses that due to the dire Persian situation and Greek inaccuracy on figures, that the real strength was more in the region of three to seven hundred. So, I don't know the size of the Persian force, but three to seven hundred seems a bit low, and forty thousand seems a bit high. And we'll leave it at that. So, however big this Persian force was, Alexander needed a way around it. Luckily for him, a few prisoners did know a way around the pass, and with this critical piece of information, one of the most brilliant pieces of tactical genius came into being. He would divide his force of around 10,000 up into four segments. A small force, less than a thousand, stayed with Craterus at the main camp to attack the Persians head-on. Meanwhile, he and his own troops, and a third force of Ptolemy and 30,000, would go around the pass. A fourth and final segment was told to go ahead and begin working on crossing a nearby river. So, the Macedonians marched out that night and were all in place before dawn. Graterus about to attack the fortified wall, Alexander around the back of the Persian fortified wall, and Ptolemy waiting in the hills. Alexander pounced on the first enemy outpost, then overwhelmed most of the second. By this time, word had spread to the third outpost, but they simply fled, rather than warn Ariobazanes, who was still clueless. And so, Alexander launched his attack against the main Persian position. And just as they attacked, they sounded the horns, and Craterus launched his attack on the opposite side. The Persians panicked, retreating to their inner defences. But Ptolemy had already come down off his hill, straight into the middle of the Persian camp. And so the Persians, who were running for their lives, like the Uxians, found it too late. Many leaped off cliffs to escape. 
No one knows what happened to Ario Bizanis after this. I doubt he lived much longer. If he survived the event at all. This victory, if you think there was a sizable force there, was the last time Alexander would have to deal with a sizable Persian force, and so many deem this to be a very significant point in Alexander's campaigns. From this great victory, he advanced into Persia, and marched triumphantly into Persepolis. His march to the capital was so quick that no one had time to take the treasure. Plutarch and Strabo state the treasure at 40,000 talents, while Diodorus and Curtius give figures of 120,000 talents. Now, Alexander would stay at Persepolis for a few months, and while there, he burnt down the Persian palace. According to Plutarch, Alexander had been invited to a drinking party where an Athenian mistress of Ptolemy, Thasus, gave a speech, saying that being in the palace of the Persians made up for all her previous troubles, and that she, a woman, wanted to set fire to the palace of Xerxes, he who had burned down Athens. That way, history would know a woman who had followed Alexander had taken more of a vengeance for all the wrongs committed against Greece than all other Greek commanders. The Greeks loved the idea, and Alexander was persuaded to burn it down. Plutarch notes that some of his sources say it happened in this way, while others state it was deliberate policy. But the all agree, Alexander quickly regretted the decision, and ordered the fire be put out. But it was too late. Arian states Parmenio tried talking Alexander out of it, as it would cause Asians to dislike him, seeing him as a conqueror, rather than a ruler, and it made no sense to destroy his own property. Arian adds himself that it was hardly vengeance, as the Persians who had committed the crimes against Greece were long dead. There is another reason why it is important. To many Greeks... This marked the end of their campaign. They had taken their vengeance for the sacking of Athens, the mission statement of the League of Corinth. They fully expected Alexander to lead them back home. Alexander would persuade them to go on, but this disenchantment would grow, until his men refused to go one step further. But we'll deal with this more in the next episode. I would like to close on a programming note. You may have noticed this week's episode was released a day late, as I've been very busy recently. So, to prevent this from happening in the future, and to make the episodes a bit longer than they have been for the last two weeks, I'm going to, in future, release episodes once every two weeks, rather than every week. Remember, you can find us online at thehistoryofpodcast.blogspot.com facebook.com forward slash the history of podcast and twitter.com forward slash the history of pod on the website you can find an amazon recommendation if you click on the links and order off amazon i'll get a small amount of whatever you spend without you paying anything extra it's a great way to support the show this week i'm going to recommend 
groovy Greeks and Rotten Romans, part of the Horrible History series by Terry Deary. If you have children and want to get them interested in history, I highly recommend these books. They will love them. There are probably about 30 of them now, covering all sorts of history. The ancient stuff, like the Greeks and Romans, as well as the Normans, Aztecs, Irish, the Second World War, Tudors, French, and many more. Thanks to Peter John Ross for the music, and thanks to you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the programme. I'll see you in two weeks for the demise of Darius.